me in your Bibles. Uh, we're going to start out in 2 Corinthians again today. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Second Corinthians chapter 10. Now, first of all, let's read this, uh, this word from the Lord that came. And, I, and I'll just read it out loud so it'll get on the, the tape for other people to watch and hear. The Lord says, My child, the weapons of your warfare are more than a match for the enemy. Whatever has made you feel small can be turned around with the right weapon. Child, this is not an equal fight. Every small thing I give you is a significant weapon against your adversary. The odds are always in your favor. Remain childlike and simple in your walk with me. Through this walk, I will teach you to smile, to laugh, and to enjoy the power of your risen Lord. The next season, everything will start to fall into place for you. Only look at everything through the eyes and the heart of a trusting child. You are my special treasure and my precious one. I have set this next phase in your journey aside for the purpose of your walking in simplicity and adoration of me. Enjoy. Now, isn't that a wonderful word from the Lord? Praise God. Don't you just love tongues and interpretation? Glory to God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So let's start here. We've been talking about the armor of God. And we know and can realize by now that all of the armor of God is the word of God. It just has different functions in our lives. And so here in chapter 10, Paul has an, has an attitude or a point of view about this. And we're going to start with, uh, we're going to just start with verse 3. And I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to put this although, for although we walk in the flesh. And that, remember that word, peripateo means to walk in a well-worn path, basically. But what he's talking about, we're so accustomed to walking in our flesh. That's, that's just normal humanity. And we're so accustomed to that, we walk into that. In the, for though we, although we walk in the flesh, we do not war. Now remember what I said about that war, strateos. It's actually not translated correctly here in the King James. It might be in some other translations but in it, the accurate would be, it says, we do not make war after the flesh. We, and so it, it's understood that we make war after the Spirit. And, and, and meaning this, that we are the ones that uh, initiate the war. We are the one that initiate that. Because of what these verses, ensuing verses say here. See that parenthesis there in verse 4? All of verse 4 is a parenthesis, a parenthesis. He says, for or because the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly, they're not carnal, but they are uh, mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And that is, that is the end of the parenthesis. That's the reason why we do not make war after the flesh. The weapons of our warfare will not work in the flesh realm. They are designed to conquer the enemy and his tactics. But notice this casting. It's, it is present tense. It means that you are casting by, by knowing what your weapons are and knowing what they're for. You are casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Now notice this, and bringing into captivity every thought, it's sort of like an, as an emperor would, would conquer and by force bring into captivity every thought. The word thought is noose. It's talking about these things that we call thinking. We're, you know, a lot of us have stinking thinking. But, he, but we're bringing into captivity Every thought. Now, where do those thoughts come from? Think about this. Primarily, the devil's name means to pierce or to penetrate. And he's constantly throwing thoughts at our carnal mind to get us to take those thoughts and let it become us 
And then he, can, he has the right to do whatever he wants to do. So he says, uh, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself in, uh, uh, against the knowledge of God. See how important that is? We must know the word. And bringing into captivity, taking hold of that, every thought to the obedience of Christ. Verse 6, this is where we're getting to today. And having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is filled. Now, the weapons that we have, they are designed to get us ready and prepared to do what that verse 6 just said. To vindicate and punish all disobedience, which means a failing to hear or hearing amiss. So we're, we're going to vindicate that. And 1 Peter 1.13 tells us to gird up the loins of your mind. Gird up. I think I talked about this the other day, but I'll just re go over to the passage and review this a little bit. Anazonami, zonami, it means to be unimpeded. Now this picture, anadzononumai, means this. And it was used quite a bit in the Orient. When people went to battle, you know, they wore long flowing robes, most of them. That Britches hadn't been invented yet, I don't guess. But anyway, those flowing robes would get in the way if you had to run. And so what it, they were told, they were told to gird them up. And that meant they gathered up the bottom and they wrapped it around their cell. And he's telling us there in 1 Peter to gird up the loins of our mind. That means get your act together. That means get all the incumbences that impede your walk with Christ taken care of. Wrap it around you so that it will not impede you, basically is the picture of that. And then in uh, Ephesians 6.14, which we're, we're doing that tonight, gird about uh, your loins. Uh, let's see, let me read that. Stand therefore, having your loins gird about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness. So having your loins gird about is peri-zonimi. That means around. So, so we're, both of them is talking about get, putting this around. Now, when your loins are gird... That means it's all the way around you. Okay? You have to have the word in front of you. You have to have the word in, behind you. And in fact, it says the same thing about the breastplate. Having on the breastplate. The breastplate, breastplate went all the way around. Now, it's my understanding that people in the Roman Empire, a Roman soldier, pretty much paid for his own armor. And this breastplate was a bright and shining piece of equipment that was usually sewn on top of leather. They were, I picture them as little round pieces of brass that were, a hole was put in there and they were fastened to that metal. In other, other places in the world, that breastplate was made out of linen, which it, it even says in the historical uh, archives there that it didn't do much to protect them. But nevertheless, some of these brass pieces of metal were sewn onto linen as well. And if the soldier could afford it, he, he had it go all the way around him. Because your back has to be protected as well. See, And so that's just kind of a little picture about that breastplate. But uh, in Mark chapter 4 and verse 24, uh, it says, And he said unto him, This is Jesus, Take heed what you hear. With what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you. And unto you that hear shall more be given. For he that has to him shall be given, and he that hath not from him shall be taken away, even that which he has. And that seems like a dichotomy there. That, that doesn't really, just at face value, that didn't make sense. I mean, why would you take something away from somebody because he doesn't have something else? But what he's talking about, it's a picture of a disciple when they have, when they, when they have uh, uh, measured, or play, let's put it this way, when they have put great importance on reading and hearing the Word of God, that will enable them or make it possible to receive more of the Word of God. That's called a hearing ear in the Gospels. He that hath an hearing ear, let him keep on hearing, is actually the way that should have been translated. Now he says here, 
again in uh, in Second Corinthians ten six. I wanted to I wanted to talk about this a little bit and and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience. The readiness basically is it's a noun. It's hetoimos, which means to prepare or make ready. We find that same word used over there in uh, uh, let's see where was it uh, Mark one three where where it talks about John the Baptist. The first three verses there are talking about John. And he is as one crying in the wilderness, crying, prepare you the way of the Lord. And the scripture says there in verses 1 and 2 that, that his instruction was to go and prepare the way for, for Jesus to be manifested. So that's what he's talking about there is to prepare the way, to make necessary uh, preparations. That's what he's talking about there. And then the same, same way with readiness there. And then revenge is... Ike dikayo, which is which is to vindicate or to defend or to avenge or punish. So literally, what the responsibility that we have when we receive the thoughts from the wicked one, when they come, we have authority to make war on that thought, on that strategy that is developing against us, to bring it into captivity and execute the judgment of God upon it and make it leave. To, to defend yourself, to vindicate, or to punish that. See? It's our job. We can't just say, well, you know, I'm just under the circumstances. No, we're not under circumstances. Uh, we, we, it's, it's our job to vindicate, or not vindicate, to initiate the conflict uh, between us and our enemy. He gets us so confused that we start uh, coming against people that the devil is using. And that, that, that strategy won't work. It just makes it matters worse. In fact, you know, John th or James 3.16, where envying and strife is, I've quoted this a hundred times since I've been here, where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. So when we try to make war after the flesh and get in arguments and strife and use all these words that come into our mind against people, then it makes it worse. And, and the devil literally has a pathway into your life to destroy you. Amen? Now Romans 5.19, it says, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. One man's disobedience brought all this on. But now we have the opportunity and the responsibility to, to bring into all disobedience into order. To bring it into order and obey the gospel and make it pay the price for that. So we need to stand. He says, stand having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness. We need to stand as a victor, not as a victim. Amen? Now, the first thing, and I think, Terutak lion belt, but it's not a lion belt, it's a loin belt, uh, which is the word of God. It produces, the first thing that, that the loin belt, the belt of truth, the first thing that it produces is righteousness. Without an understanding of your righteousness in Christ, you're going to walk around in condemnation uh, so let, let's look at Hebrews chapter 5. Did I put that in your notes? Hebrews chapter 5. We'll start with verse 11. He said, now note, I want you to notice very carefully how he words this. Of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing you are dull of hearing. For when the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. Now people... That is the state, pretty much, of the modern-day church. The modern-day church, church should be light years ahead of itself right now. And, because, and I, I'm telling you, this is pretty bold to say. I said it last summer in my end-time teaching. But uh, we are the reason that Jesus has not returned. We are the reason. Because we've not been obedient to the Word of God and taking this message to the world. And taking our authority as sons of God. I heard a prophecy a long time ago. I don't know wh whether it was true or not. Uh, I hope actually it's not. But in that prophecy, 
supposedly of the Lord, said that uh, Christianity, no, he said Christians are not really going to come into their own as who they are in Christ until the 2040s. It's a mess out there. People you would think would strong, by the first thing they'll fly off the handle. People you would think because they've been in church all their lives, you'd think that they're stable. But somebody announces a, a virus and everybody gets scared out of their wits. It's fear driven. See, a matured Christian won't get moved by what they see or hear. A lot of people need to quit watching the news. I hope my precious mother hears this tape. But it's got people just scared absolutely crazy. So what I'm saying here, this message that I'm preaching you to tonight or teaching is about righteousness, who you are, who you are. The actual, the actual state of your being is that of a righteous person. You're kin to Jesus. God's our Father. We're not substandard. It's just that we have failed to hear. We have failed to grow. So let's continue this. Every time I read that, I have to comment that way because there's, and, and, and bear with me on these things, and I know I, I repeat myself a lot, but uh, people need to know that they have responsibility in the kingdom of God. Responsibility to grow. You know the Lord's not going to make you grow. He's not going to make you grow up. Now, when we all get to heaven, I assume that we're going to grow then because we won't have any incumbences. There won't be anything preventing that. So he says here you have to, to, the, to the oracles of God and are become such, notice this, as have need of milk and not of and not of strong meat. For, because, everyone that uses milk. It'd be good to do some uh, exegete that scripture, uh, that word right there, useth. Because I'm pretty sure the way it sounds is that everyone that is habitually using milk and not eating the meat of the word of God. Notice what it says about them. For everyone that uses milk is what? unskillful in the word of righteousness. For he is a baby. Now how many people do you know that are Christians that are unskillful in the word of righteousness? I have pastored them for a long time. <laughs> he says, but strong meat belongs to them that are of full age, even those, now notice this, who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil by reason of use. That's how you begin to get strong in the Lord, by reason of use. That's called, that's called those who by reason of using the meat of the Word of God, the strong meat, this message on righteousness. I mean, right now we've not even dipped, maybe we might be below the surface of the message of righteousness right now, but we're by no means deep in it. Our righteousness is awesome. I mean, it, it is just wonderful when you get to realize that by reason of use, you can even have your senses to discern both good and evil. And that is the key to doing what we we're talking about uh, in 2 Corinthians 10, 6, having in a readiness to revenge or punish unrighteousness. Now, righteousness is a weapon, isn't it? 1 Thessalonians 5.8 says, But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet the hope of, hope of salvation. 2 Corinthians 6.7 By the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. Isaiah 59 and 16 it says, and he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore his arm brought salvation unto him and his righteousness 
It sustained him. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate and an helmet of salvation upon his head. And he put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad with the zeal as a cloak. Isaiah 45.11 basically says that, Thus saith the Lord, the Holy One of Israel and His Maker, ask me of things to come concerning my sons, and concerning the work of my hands, command ye me. Notice that he said that. Command ye me. I have made the earth and created man upon it. I, even my hands, have stretched out the heavens, and all their host have I commanded. Notice this, verse 13. I have raised him up in righteousness. I will, and I like to put it this way, I therefore will direct his ways. Meaning that he's been raised in righteousness, which makes him susceptible for God to direct his path. If we're not walking in righteousness, we, he cannot direct our ways. And he shall build my city, because he's, he's raised up in righteousness, and he shall let go my captives, not for price or reward, saith the Lord of hosts. So, this, this breastplate. Now, there was, a, there was a, a phrase that was used in Mark 15, uh, I think about verse 17, where they, they, put a, they clothed Jesus with a, with a purple robe. And they, they put it on him. This word in 1 Thessalonians 5, 8 that I read to you, it, it is basically, the word put on means to clothe oneself. You say, well, how, preacher, how do I put on the breastplate? You put on the breastplate in your mind. You arm your mind with this armor. When you find out that you are the very righteousness of God, uh, you are going to be in a position to receive everything that God has for you. Because, let's put it this way, I like to quote the word righteousness this way, right standing. You know. I mean, if you're working for an employer and you're on his good side, you would say, I'm, I'm in good standing. I am in right standing with him. See, Well, that's what the righteousness of God did for us. It placed us in right standing with God. And so when you, have, when you know that you have right standing, you know you are righteous. It, it is an identity. It's not just something you're doing. And as I've said before, righteousness can mean behavior. It can mean things that you do. But in this case tonight, we're talking about it as an identity. See, That's who you are. And when you have this as an identity, number one, you will not walk in condemnation. Number two, you will walk in confidence. Number three, you will know that you are heard when you pray. That's because you're, you're settled in your righteousness. Amen? Uh, did I put this down here in your notes about the breastplate, how much it weighed? Okay, we won't go over that then. So, when these soldiers that had this breastplate on you know, brass is real shiny. Usually, most of them are made out of brass. Uh, when they walk, when they moved, those those pieces of metal rubbed against each other, and they got very bright. They shone like the sun. And and a lot of times, I know this sounds elementary, but a lot of times those soldiers would face the sun and get their get their opponent where the sun is behind them. And then that brightness from that breastplate would blind them, theoretically. So it, it worked that simply. So when we walk in our righteousness, our righteousness gets brighter as well. Amen? When we start walking into people and say, you know what? Have you noticed Lona lately? I said, uh, when we start walking in our righteousness, people say, have you noticed Lona lately? Lona, Lona is shining with the Word of God. Amen? And that's, that's exactly the way it is. People will begin to know, see. When the disciples began their ministries after the ascension of Jesus, people took note that they had spent time with Him, see. They were walking in their righteousness, who they were. And that's exactly the practicality of this.
So without this upon us in our walk, as I said, we will walk in condemnation. You know, Romans uh, 8 and 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation, meaning this, no condemning sentence can be imposed and carried out upon you from the wicked one because of who you are. In fact, if you'll just back up a little bit there in Romans, in, in chapter 7, verse 24 and 25, Paul was in the dilemma of walking in the spirit or walking in the flesh. And he said, who's going to, do, who's going to deliver me from this body of flesh? I thank God, the, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's the answer. And so that's why there's no condemning sentence that can be carried out upon you. You are simply walking in the spirit. Now notice how that is said. Do you remember what I said about Romans 8? That the only two times in that whole chapter that the word spirit is referring to the Holy Ghost is verse, uh, I think it's verse, 15, verse 16 and then verse 26, 27. Without reading it, I'm kind of rusty on that. But those are the only two times. So all the rest of the time in Romans that it says spirit, it's talking about your human spirit. You're born again, recreated, child of God, spirit. And so when you are walking in that spirit, you're walking in righteousness, and condemnation will never come around. There's no condemnation. You say, well, what if I miss it? you got a mouth, confess it, and it's gone. Amen? Simple as that. We like to browbeat ourselves and punish ourselves because we made a mistake. No, that's not godly. Remember a few weeks ago when I read to you about Abraham? Look how bad he messed up. But it's not even recorded in the New Testament. <laughs> I'm just praying all the stuff that I've done wrong just blotted out. You know, we can't find that anywhere. The blood of Jesus cleanses us, doesn't he? So, Satan is a slanderer, as I said a moment ago, diabolos, to pierce the soul, a penetrator. That's where these wiles, that's where these strategies, that they lie in wait watching you to deceive you. That's, that's his method. Now confidence, you're going to walk in confidence and it comes from knowing you are righteousness. Not arrogance. A lot of people will mistake confidence that you have. It's like uh, someone, I had an opportunity the other day to say this statement and you can tell it just so far above their head that they just thought I was an idiot. But about COVID, I said it can't live on my body. It, it just can't live there. I, I, have a, I have authority over this meat that I'm living in. I mean, it's God's fault. He left, it, he left us in this body. But he gave us the authority to take authority over it. And I, I just refuse to get it. I'm not afraid of it. And, and, and we need to arm ourselves with that attitude. It cannot live. Just like John G. Lake went over there, remember, in Africa. And during the bubonic plague, he was a doctor. And he was over there working with all those patients and didn't have any of the gloves on, nothing. Just working with all those patients, getting some of them healed, taking care of it. And, and the scientist came up to him and said, what are you doing? He said, it can't live on my body. And they just made fun of it. He said, all right, you go get you, uh, uh, what do they call it, a microscope? And get some of that bloody froth off of one of those dead people. Put it on my hand under that microscope and you'll see. And they did, and they watched it die. That's called confidence. Confidence in your righteousness. Whew. It's wonderful to be a child of God, isn't it? It's so wonderful. Confidence. James 1.3 says, Knowing that the trying of your faith works patience. Knowing those things. is a knowledge of God. It's so wonderful. That's why we have to bring all of our thoughts that exalts themselves against the knowledge of God. Well, if you don't have knowledge of God, you're not going to know any better. That's how deception comes, you know. He takes advantage of our ignorance. Things that we don't know. Things that we haven't grown in. The devil knows. He knows our weaknesses. 
He knows the chinks in our armor. He knows whether we've put it on or not. Actually, we ought to have a uh, superiority complex with the devil. Because we are far above him. We're far above him, Mona. Remind him of his future one of these days. You know, the Bible's already determined who the loser's going to be. And it's him. Amen? Now, fourthly here, righteousness affects our attitude. Just as the attitude of the Roman soldier was when he went out to battle. In other words, do not come home until your enemy is defeated. That was his attitude. In fact, most of these guys went out figuring that they probably never would come home. You know, because they're willing to die for the cause. But that's, that is the attitude that we need to be armed with. I'm not giving up. I'm not going to back down. The enemy is defeated by Jesus Christ, and I'm going to uh, enforce that. See, if, if we're not armed with that line of thinking, see how, see how cocky that sounds? It sounds arrogant, but it's not. It's confidence in Him. It's His righteousness. Amen? So we have assurance because of this righteousness and this attitude. Proverbs 3.26 says, For the Lord shall be thy confidence and shall keep thy foot from being taken. Notice that. Shall keep thy foot from being taken. What's that mean? Tripped up. You won't fall for the schemes of the devil and fall, see, and be, be uh, tripped up. 2 Corinthians 5.21, notice that. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the what? The righteousness of God in Christ. See there, there's that identity again. Jesus was made to be sin for us in our place. His identity changed at Calvary. Now there's a whole host of denominations that call themselves Christians that deal with, that disagree with that statement. But that doesn't change it any. He was made to be sin, let's put it this way, in our place. So that we could be made righteous in His place. He exchanged sickness and disease for health for us. He exchanged poverty for wealth for us. It goes right on down the line. I call it the great exchange. And we need to really focus on that because I don't know whether I... Yeah, I'll go ahead. You guys are my faithful Bible students. I'll go ahead and say this. I guess. Jesus became what we were so that we can become as He is now. That's simply put. But, but there's a lot more to that. The great exchange happened. And here's what I wanted to tell you. Because this is such a religious word. It's not really... The atonement. I mean, we've all heard lessons and sermons all of our lives about the atonement. Well, that's not, you know, and, and I've heard Word of Faith guys get up and teach. And I used to teach this years ago, where that, uh, that healing is in the atonement. And it is, if you, you know, viewing it that way. But atonement basically means to cover over. But exchange is not covering it, it's getting rid of it and giving it a new identity. The great exchange is different than the great atonement. I even heard one guy break it down and says, at one minute. But that's kind of stretching it there for that. But Anyway, it's, it's the great exchange. Uh, we, we reign in Christ. It's a present tense reality. Our righteousness will never fade. It never gets old. We can't run it off. We can start walking in the flesh and it won't be manifested. Let's look at Romans 5, 17. 
Y'all get anything out of this? I try to make it as, as understandable as I can. I, I pity you folks. Because you got to stand up here and listen to me. <laughs> but just listen to me long enough. You know, keep on. And eventually what I'm saying will maybe be made clear. Notice this analogy here. Romans 5.17 For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and the what? The gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Christ Jesus. Therefore, because of this, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men. Actually, judgment came is not there in the original. But it came upon all men Unto what? Condemnation. Even so, by the, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. Now notice this. Here, here's a real biggie. This will help you in your witnessing. Every single human being that you ever encounter has already been paid for and uh, the free gift is for them. They don't, have to, they don't have to get rid of any sins. They don't have to confess everything they've ever done. They just simply accept Jesus and they become righteous. See, So it's not trying to go out to the world to make them righteous. It's trying to go out to the world and get them to acknowledge that it's already been accomplished. If they receive it, it's theirs. It's unto all. Uh, chapter 3 says this uh, in Romans. It's unto all and up on all them that believe. See? Unto and upon is different. And so that's what righteousness does. He says, uh, verse 20, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound, that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness. How does grace reign? Through righteousness unto eternal life, by Jesus Christ our Lord. And then that verse, I already had it listed down here. Romans 3.22 is where that upon all and unto all is. But now let's, uh, let's realize that... My God, there's so much of this. Let's look at Romans 8.31. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? God that justifies. Verse 34, who is he that condemneth? It's Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors, through him that loved us. Verse 38. Because I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor other any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Now this is a description of a man walking in righteousness. When you walk in righteousness, nothing can come against you and succeed. They may, they may come against you, but they'll leave seven ways, the Bible says. I mean, you're, you're, you're going to live in a place of, of attack. The enemy is going to come against you and try to get you off of God's word. But as long as you're reigning in righteousness and truth, you have the word at hand and he can't come against the word. That's why I read that James scripture a while ago. It's the trial of your faith. Not the trial of you. And our faith is in the word of God. Amen. So 1 John 5, 13 and, uh, through 15. These things have I written unto you. 
that you believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. And this is the confidence that we have in Him. That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. You say, well, how do I know whether it's will or not? Is it in His Word? Then it's His will. Lona, is it in God's Word that He wants you healed? Then He hears that prayer. Amen? Now, if you asked Him for a fifth of Jack Daniels, He probably won't give that. Because that's not in His Word. Amen? So anything that you find in the Word of God that's a promise to you, He'll hear you. And He'll answer yes. Amen? So He says, And if we know that He hears us, Whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desire of Him. You see, a righteousness conscience will produce that attitude that no matter what you face in life, when you speak, God listens. When you pray, He answers. But if we're going to dilly-dally, I never did really know what that meant. It's sort of like skedaddle. I never, you know, Lona uses skedaddle. She tells the devil to skedaddle. <laughs> So dilly-dallying, whatever that means, around with the Word of God and not really be committed and just kind of, then when you get attacked, you're not gonna, there's not going to be any defense. You, you won't have any way to succeed. See? So you've got to stand firm in the truth of God's Word. Stand so that your righteousness will shine forth. See, Amen? I'm telling you, that's where the Word of Wisdom resides. Now, in... Uh, Acts chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. Acts chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. We find there, Peter and John was walking by. And this guy was at the gate called Beautiful. Actually, it was called a different name, but the, most people, uh, you know, they, these uh, what are these places up here, Bill, that people ride four-wheelers on? What's that called, that place? The Sand Dunes. You know, everybody knows it by the sand dunes. Well, I mean, probably, technically, that's not an accurate term. I know geologists would probably have a different term for that. Same way with this gate. The, the public called it beautiful because it was pretty. But now this man had laid there so long at that gate trying to get money and all that stuff for all that time, thinking that it was going to help him, thinking he was going to contact God or do whatever they said to do and you'd be healed. But it never did work. It'll never work. Man's ways never work. But then when he looked, when Peter saw him, I want you to get this picture. Maybe you can go and read that some this week. It's such a wonderful story. But Peter looked at him. He said, it said he fastened his eyes upon him. And guess what he said? You remember the story? He said something that most of us would not. He said, look on us. Because we're always in that religious attitude a lot of times that says, well, you know, it's not me. It's the Lord. Listen, if you go out and lay hands on the sick, it's you. It's you. I don't mean to be arrogant about that. We know where the power comes from. But you're the instrument. It's you. And that's the way the public will view it. Go over there to cross point. Them people will get you healed. They're not going to say, go right across, but God will heal you over there. They're going to say, then people will get you healed. See, So Peter said, look on us. So if you're confident in your righteousness, you be bold to say, look on us. And the man asking alms, Peter said, silver and gold have I none. But then he says, but such that I have. In the words, it shouldn't be translated. It should have been, it's, it's actually the Greek word, ho. H-O. And it, it is translated who. But who I have give I thee. They could have given him some silver and gold. They could have probably looked up somebody and found some money for him. And, but that's not what he needed. That's what I think of when I see these people over at Walmart standing over there right before you have to go out standing there, you know, wanting money. I think money's not what you need. You need Jesus. But if you hand them a track, it's just going to make them mad. And unless you just want to stop and take up time with them, explain all that stuff, and get them free. But I found out a long time ago, a lot of them don't want to be free. 
They just don't want to work. Gotta, we ought to get on Dave Roberson's website and get that message and download it and put it on CDs just to hand out. It's called Get a Job, Lazy Man. <laughs> just say, here, this will help you far more than a quarter will or a dollar or whatever. And not that I, th you know, I I'm not hard-hearted. I'm always open if the Lord wants me to, to do something for somebody like that. But I, I've been taken advantage of too many times. Now, fifthly, another thing about righteousness is that it's a defense weapon. Uh, you can read this in Isaiah 61 and 10. It says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in God. For he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorneth herself with jewels. Isaiah 51 and 7 says, Hearken unto me, you that know righteousness, the people in whose heart is my law. Fear ye not the reproach of men, neither be ye afraid of their revilings. For the moth shall eat them up like a garment, and the worm shall eat them like wool. But my righteousness shall be forever. My God, the robe that we're clothed with right now will last forever. Moth and rust and all that won't corrupt it. Glory to God. And my salvation from generation to generation. Awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake as, it in, as in the ancient days, in the generations of old. Art thou not in that hath cut Rahab and wounded the dragon? So putting on righteousness is, is a deliberate choice. We have to deliberately put on our clothes, don't we? So we have to deliberately put on righteousness. When the enemy comes against you, things doesn't seem to be working out, all you have to do is turn to the Word of God, remind yourself and remind Father that you know you are His very righteousness and that He is going to provide for you. Just like it said in that little uh, prayer, that little statement from the Lord I gave you today. It's so important. It's so important. Psalm 34 and 19 says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. Meaning just because you're righteous doesn't mean He's not going to come around. You're the very bird He's looking for. But when He finds out that we can mash His mouth with the Word of God, He'll run as if in terror. Flee is what the word uh, translated, and it means to run as if in terror. Psalm 37, 17, For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. Glory to God. Proverbs 10, 30, The righteous shall never be removed, but the wicked shall inhabit the earth. That word removed is the Hebrew word mot, M-O-W-T. It means to shake, to totter, to slip, to slide. Uh, who was it? Paul, let's see, Simon wrote a song back in the 60s. Slip sliding away. Remember? Well, the righteous will never slip slide away. Dislodge or be overthrown. The righteous will shall never be overthrown. Think of that. I get excited about this. So the power of God is released through righteousness. So in one sense of the word, you could say actually that righteousness is a defensive weapon or offensive weapon as well as a defensive weapon because our righteousness shall be made known. And now let's get back to Ephesians 6.14. How do we put this breastplate on? Having on, it's the Greek word enduo. It means an endowment it's, it actually was used, a word that was used quite readily before they picked it up for the New Testament, when witches would cast endowments upon people. Uh, it also is uh, translated investment. It also, the word enduo means to bind around yourself. It's sort of like if, you, if it was real cold outside and you had a coat on, you stepped out there, you would make sure that thing was bound around you. It's the same way that the righteous will never be moved. Amen? Walk 
in your righteousness on purpose. You have to walk in it. You can't just you can't really just say, well, I'm a child of God and I believe all things will work out for me. After all, Romans 8.26 says that. Or 8.28. It says that. You know, all things work together for them that love God. Well, listen, if you're in love with God, <clears throat> then you're going to be seeking His righteousness, aren't you? You're going to be seeking His Word. You're going to be giving your life, your thought life to Him every day. And of course, it has to be joined with those 25 and 26 and 27 as we're praying in the Spirit. That's when all things begin to work together. So you can't really pull that out and expect that to work that, that way. So we put it on with the knowledge that it too is a mighty through God weapon. That it too we will have super energized weaponry. Righteousness and truth, listen to this, makes all the other armor uh, effective. It makes everything work. Your, your belt of truth, your belt of truth attaches to the breastplate. Now they say of the breastplate that when you take it off, it, if it's constructed right, it will stand up by itself. Remember years ago when you'd get all snow and ice on your britches and you take them off and they could just about stand up by themselves. That's what that reminded me of when I read that. that. That breastplate will stand up by itself, but it cannot stand long. See? So you have it attaches to the loin belt. Your sword attaches to the loin belt. The lance will, attaches to the back of your loin belt. So that truth is in place. So that truth makes all it, that, that righteousness and truth makes all of it work together. See? It develops. Righteousness is a developer. It will cause us to start growing. Did y'all get anything out of this? Amen. Amen. Glory to God.